1: with Brian Smith, founder of Uggs.
0: Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now... Having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxy.
1: This was a fun episode with Brian because he really talked about you know the path to self-discovery and he is a nomad in the sense that he came all the way, you know, brought his business from Australia to the United States. And um, since then, you know, he's revolutionized the way we, we see sheepskin. Um, you know, I, I was very, very, very attentive throughout this interview. Not that I'm never attentive with others, but um, I would encourage everyone to really listen to this and really take it for what it's worth. Because there are a lot of things that one has got to take down notes on and really details the steps that he has in place for ultimate success, whether it's entrepreneurship and succeeding anywhere in the world. Stay tuned, enjoy, and uh, please leave comments and feedback. Welcome to It's Told by Nomads. Today I have with me Brian Smith. So excited to have him on here. He's the founder of the world famous UGG Australian brand. And he's been so gracious enough to uh, join me on the show. He's got a new book, but we'll talk about that uh, later on. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, Taylor how you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So, you know, I, I was, you know, I everybody knows who you are and your background, but could you give us some of the backstory and uh, how Brian Smith came to be Brian Smith?
0: Okay, well... I was born. <laughs> I that's, that's a good start. So I came out to be Brian Smith. But I think what you're asking is how did I come to become sort of famous? And, and that started a long time ago when I was in Australia and I was an accountant and I really hated it. And it took me 10 years to graduate. And uh, the day I graduated is the same day I gave my notice and quit because um, I wanted to be a business person and I. I Wanted to find some, you know, something to do, and I had no direction. And, and I remember one day I was listening to this brand new album uh, that I just opened. It was called "Dark Side of the Moon" by Pink Floyd, mm. and uh, the words in it were, you know, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long, and there is time to kill today. You know, and I thought, oh my God, he's speaking to me. Mm. And then I went on and said, but then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And I just got covered in goosebumps and went, oh my God, you're right. I've been in a job I hate for ten years and everybody else is sort of moving on in their careers and I'm not. And so I did some meditation and figured you know, all the trends are coming out of California like waterbeds and Levi jeans and surf brands and stuff so I thought I'm going to go to California and find the next big thing to bring back to Australia hmm. and so just within a couple of days I booked my trip and then I spent you know, several months in California trying to figure out what it was I was going to do and didn't find the next big thing yet but one day I was waiting for a buddy to come down we were going to go surfing at Malibu and he brought down a surfer magazine, and I was flicking through the pages and saw this advertisement for sheepskin boots, and I went, oh my God, I got goosebumps again, I thought there's no sheepskin boots in America, and it seemed like one in two Australians had some sort of sheepskin footwear, so I just instantly thought I was going to be an overnight success, and I i uh called up and ordered some samples from the you know the person who ran this ad from a little factory in australia, and that was the beginning of the whole Uggboot brand
1: hm yeah so so that's essentially how you decided to bring that Ugg boots brand to uh to America now talk to me about when you you got the idea and you got you called the manufacturer how what was the process like was it was it easy was it hard what were some of the hardships that you had to well, I, I was, I was totally
0: ignorant, you know, which I think is a very essential trait for an entrepreneur. You have to have this ignorance or innocence because if you knew what was ahead, you would never start. Mm. And, and that's, so your question is very appropriate. Well, yeah, I had no roadmap. I'd never done this before. Mm. And, uh, so I just bought some samples and I thought it would be an instant hit, but I went through in California. To all the shoe retailers, and they just shut me out completely. They, they they thought I was crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California, and so then I thought, oh, okay, I'll go back to New York, and it was the same there. They didn't even recognize what I had on the trade show table. You know, <laughs> might as well have been car parts or meat or something because I, I didn't get any uh, response. So, but I figured out pretty quickly that you know all my buddies knew about these sheepskin boots and it was because they all surfed and I figured out that all the California surfers you know who'd been down to Australia for the past 10 or 15 years had all bought three or four pairs of these boots back for their buddies so it was really well known in the surf market so that's where I changed all my direction to and started going after the surf shops.
1: Mm -hmm. So you found out you know after several rejections that you know there was a niche market essentially and that you you should probably should start with that and yeah now Now, i'm just curious with the sheepskin was it did you find out that it was seasonal or was it you know i'm just curious how you got that into the mainstream market because i don't know if if you're you're trying to sell sheepskin initially to to like say california audience and uh you know they all buy in and say hey i want to wear it now in yeah, the, summer. <laughs> the, the the seasonality
0: is another one of those ignorance things. If I'd have known that, well, you only sell sheepskin boots, you know, or, or it, it goes for any winter product or any summer product. There's a very limited window where the retailers will buy your product. So for me, they would put the orders in in January, February, March. They would expect delivery in September, October, and then they'd be finished by December, and. And that meant I, I got into a business where there was only three or four months of positive cash flow right. and the rest of the year I had to get spare time jobs and, you know, it took years, four, four or five years before I didn't have to work in the summertime to sort of pay my credit card bills.
1: Huh. So, I guess in those times you were really doing multiple jobs and then you would wait till the, the time came on and then… Uh Back yeah. to work. In fact, I tried
0: to give up a couple of summers because I just didn't think it was going to work. But the first time the storms hit the California coast every year, all my retailers would be calling up screaming and frantic for Ugboots, you know? Mm. So, so I realized to, to make it work, I was going to have to raise a little bit of capital, which I did. And that way I was able to sort of keep at it year round, but I couldn't really afford a staff or anything because, you know, the, the seasonality was a killer.
1: Gotcha. So when did you start making that profit then? When did you when did it odd boots get to that next level where it was like, Okay, this is no longer just a three month thing. This is something that's actually sustainable. I don't need to do those odd jobs anymore.
0: Yeah, it was about uh the fourth or fifth year. You know, i had been running all these ads trying to promote the surf market with these really cute looking models on the rocks at Wind and Sea Beach and you know, perfect hair and perfect makeup and perfect boots and perfect clothing and sunset. You know, and you know the sales were like thirty thousand dollars for the year. so the next year, I got more expensive models and better photographers and uh, posed them on the rocks and and you know, I I I sales were thirty thousand dollars and. I was really frustrated because I, I, I felt like I was, I was a failure because I wasn't getting into the mall stores and uh, I remember being back in Chicago at the buying office of a company called Montgomery Ward which was a big shoe retailer in the malls at the time mm-hmm. and I gave my best sales pitch ever and the guy just looked at me and was silent and then, then he finally said, Brian, why are you here? <laughs> And I said, because I want to get an order for the California stores. And he just replied, Brian, don't you get it? We're the, we're the elephants. We don't move until the mice are running around under our feet. So I realized I had to, you know, get all the specialty shops firing up before the mall stores would look at it. So I ended up having a beer with one of my retailers in, in, in San Diego, mm. and, and he called to the back of the room, you know, to all these young 13, 14-year-old grommets, you know, hey, you guys, what do you think of ARG? And they all came out of the background going, Oh, those UGs, they're so fake, man. Have you seen those ads? Mm -hmm. Those models, they can't surf. Mm -hmm. And instantly it hit me that I was sending the wrong message to my target market. So within a couple of days I'd found these young pro kids that, that were just turning pro and I sponsored them and just started shooting photos of those guys walking to their favorite surf breaks and stuff. And when I started running the ads in the surf magazine in, in October, November, sales jumped to a quarter of a million bucks, like overnight, from thirty thousand to a quarter of a million dollars, and, and it was a really, really good lesson to me that I, you, you know, you have to have your your consumer in mind when you run your ads because if you just run what you think is right, it may not be hitting the market, and it was a very big learning lesson for me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I imagine you know. This is almost with anything. So, with a lot of people come on the show, it's they figure out that once they understand the environment and they understand the people they're actually talking to or reaching out to, it becomes a lot easier to communicate. Yeah, um, so it sounds yeah. like yeah. So it sounds like you did that there. Yeah, I, I'm always curious when you know when foreigners come. I'm Nigerian, so you know right. I'm, a, I'm a foreigner living in New York City. Now, when you had made that decision to move to leave Australia and go to California and start a business in America, were, were there any? cultural things that you had to quickly adapt to or any other things business wise that you had to really just make sure you were cultured to so you uh, Yeah, the there. the
0: biggest culture clash for me was just the understanding of sheepskin, you know? Yeah. Australians are born with sheepskin knowledge. They know it's rugged and it's breathable and it wicks moisture so if you put you know your wet feet in the boots they, they, they're dry and warm in like ten minutes. But Californians or Americans in general think it's hot and prickly and sweaty and it's delicate. You can't get it wet. You can't get mud on it. And so that, that was a huge wake up call for me that there was a big cultural difference. Mm. And you know, sometimes, you know, one of the things in my book is I talk about you have to have an entrepreneur has to have a certain amount of ignorance because if they went into it and, and, you know knew everything they re- they'd realize oh my god I- I'm not gonna overcome all those obstacles yeah. but if you're ignorant and you don't realize the obstacles you just blunder your way through and and you, you, you get a- eventually you figure out the culture differences and, and make it work you know
1: right right now let's talk about branding in the global landscape you know the world is starting to get flatter uh, people are starting businesses that you know resonate with many people and some people do it you know from their laptops yeah um, what in your opinion What's the best way to brand your business and yourself that you're setting yourself up for success?
0: Okay, there's there's a real critical thing I learned in the first year or so of the Ubert business. I was down at this uh, publishing office that uh, published a, a brand new magazine called Action Sports Retailer, and it was a, it was it grew into being the you know the, the the force behind the whole action you know the sports industry. And they were a very, they were doing their second issue. So it was a very small magazine. And, and I walked in there and, and the guy told me, well, it's a thousand, it's 1200 bucks for one page, but I'll give you two full pages for, you know, $2,000. And, and I looked at him and I said, you're crazy. I haven't even started business yet. I've only got 500 pairs and I haven't even made any sales. And he just came back to me and said, Brian. It's not how big you are, it's how big you are perceived to be that counts Wow yeah. and he t- and he taught me into buying those ads and and then for years, it taught me a really good lesson that I, I wanted to make sure I looked like a million dollars, even though I was quite small and when you look like a million dollars, people believe that you're solid and they, they want to do business with you yeah now. For me, it was very difficult back then because, you know, to look like a million dollars, you had to have a lot of money. You had to spend a lot of money on your marketing materials and everything was paper then and brochures and ads in, you know, magazines. Nowadays, however, everybody's got a tremendous advantage to level the playing field because with the Internet, you can put up a web page that looks like a million dollars and you may be working out of a garage, right? Yeah. And if you do the right job on your web page and all of the social media that you're doing, nobody's ever going to come and check that you're working out of your garage because you look like a million dollars. So that's a, my greatest sort of recommendation to anyone listening who's starting out a new business: is really put some thought and some effort and some time into the image you put out on your website.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, I. You know, I started off as a personal, that's exactly what I'm doing, a personal brand. And it's um, the same lessons that you're saying. It was it was drummed into me by my mentor saying, you got to be careful how you're perceived. Uh, yeah. Because that's how people are going to be looking for you. When they search you on Google, that's what they're going to look at. No, oh, That's right. Exactly.
0: And, and that also rolls into your product, like you, the service you provide has to be really good mm-hmm. and, and from what I've seen, it's you know, I love the magazine, it's fabulous, you know. Thank you. Thank but but, but for, for a product, you know, I've had the ability to back up the quality and the, the image that I was putting out over the airwaves and, you know, in the print media. The product has to be back it up because if people buy it and it's not what you're promoting, then you lose all credibility and your brand value just goes to hell
1: yeah, no, you're exactly right. this is something that I've always been fascinated by with uh, with entrepreneurs is It's that character quality to just do things that many people are afraid to do. Um, in your case, you took it an extra step by even going to another country. why you know what were some of the things that kept you going, and why do you think people are so afraid to start something or to actually pursue their life's calling?
0: Yeah, the fear of the unknown is a horrible dread, you know. Um, I see people who, who, uh, go, Oh, I've got this really great idea, but I, I don't know how to get a business license. And, and I think to myself, Give it a minute, give me a break. I've never had a business license, you know. Yeah. If you've got an idea and you have some passion, you just have to start. Now, that doesn't mean doing what I did, which is leave the country and start a completely new career without any income. I would recommend people, if they've got a job, they, they keep it and start doing their passion on you know, nights or on the weekends, every spare moment they get. And eventually, if their passion is, is correctly based and, and the business does start to pick up steam, eventually they're going to be forced to quit their job because it's getting in the way of their new business. So that that to me is the best advice I can give starting out, unless you have a great idea that's going to be really, really big and you know that you, you can raise money from friends and family or from venture capitalists, then then in that case, as long as you've got your salary paid, go for it that way.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it, I think the biggest thing you can take out of that is just uh, just start.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, just start, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and, a lot of times people say you you know you're lucky you got all the people is that would you say luck played played a part in your success You know I had
0: Some fantastic things happen to me, which some people would call luck, but I I call it karma. You know, it's like what goes around comes around, or yin and yang, or what goes up must come down. There's a law in the universe about karma that if you put out really good stuff, you'll get really good stuff coming back eventually, and, and vice versa if it's bad. You know, yeah. and so I think that all of the efforts that I put into the marketing and you know trying to find the, the niches, like getting out of niches into trying to get into mainstream, uh, you know, I found a, you know, this is like, you know, 10 or 15 years into the business and I realized I, I wanted to get into the mainstream fashion market. I found these uh, stylists uh, in Hollywood, you know, I, I found a mailing list of people who do like the wardrobes and the hair, hairdos and the makeup and all that. And I sent a letter out to all of them saying, you know, if you want a free pair of Ugg boots, give me a call. Well, about 40 people did, and I sent free Ugg boots to them. And then before long, they were showing up, you know, in TV sitcoms and Uggs were in the movies. And eventually, you know, in Us magazine or People magazine, they'd be capturing all these stars walking around the streets in New York City and and, uh, Los Angeles, and they said, wearing Ugg boots, you know. And so... It, that, that would never have happened if I hadn't have done the the thinking and the research into the stylists' markets, and that's really what sport sported. So everybody from the outside be going, "Oh, look how lucky Brian is! You know, he got Cameron Diaz wearing a pair of Ugg boots." You know, but it wasn't luck; it was just the return on my karma for putting out the effort in the first place.
1: No, I am, and and everybody, you know, people. I was, I heard this the other day. It takes Ten thousand hours or something to get that overnight success, but it's you know it's the time put it in, and it's you know if that aligns with the brand in and you're doing the right work, something always happens. Seems to yeah. happen where it sets you in front of the right person. Yeah, I,
0: I I put it in the words that the minute you start out, then the universe conspires to work with you, and that that's not my saying. That's like a very very ancient saying, and, and that's how it, that's how things work. You have to start, and then suddenly. I think I'll give you a great example. You never see an advertisement for a refrigerator, right? Yeah. Until the day you need a refrigerator and then every single magazine and newspaper you see has has refrigerator ads. And what what I mean by that is until you start out looking for your business passion, you, you don't see all the signs, but once you start all the signs become obvious and you start to find your way. Yeah. That's really the key to it. You have to start first.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And so, in the vein of starting, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm launching a, a media company here, and then right now, obviously, I'm bootstrapping. But I know you had to seek investment uh, a few times. When would you say it's, you know, it's time to seek outside investment, or when do you, you know, start thinking about these type of things so that you have the investor. Well,
0: let me let me lead into that because uh, you said that you're struggling. You're not struggling, but you're, you're in the early stages of getting a media company going, right? Right. Here's what I've found after 25, 30 years of business, and this is the theme of my book. You can't give birth to adults, right? <laughs> Everything is conceived you know, in somebody's mind, and then they take the first action. For me, it was buying six pairs of samples from Australia, right? Right. And then it just goes into this horrible infancy and it it just lasts for so long. It's just like a real baby. You keep feeding it, changing diapers, you know. Occasionally you'll get a giggle or a smile, but it's just constant, constant work and feeding, feeding, feeding. And there's no amount of overfeeding or jiggling the cradle is going to get that baby up and go to college. It has to be an infant and then it'll go into the toddling stages and that's a cool thing where people start to you know join you and they they you know in your case they'll, you'll start to build your listener base for me it was the early adopters of adbirds you know and then it, after a few years it'll it'll hit this period where you've got you know consistent income you've got orders coming in you've got deliveries going out smoothly the Accounting's working well, the Salesforce is working well, and that's a really, really great part of the business, but if it's like mine and, you know, when it's a really, really good product, it'll hit the teenage phase where it gets out of control for a while, and then the administrators come in and put in all the control. So every business goes through these phases, and where most people tend to want to give up is in this infancy because they think, you know, God, I want to be in the malls, you know. Well, you can't get to the malls without getting all the specialty stores going, you know. And you may want to be on national uh, syndication, but you can't get there till late. the syndicates look at see what you're following is. So you have to just grow through this this small period. And and one of my other favorite sayings is the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is to live every day happily as a tadpole, you know, because. As long as you keep living good and enjoying life and doing keep working your business and trying to do the right thing, trying to grow it. Every day coming in trying something new, before you know it, you'll look back and think, Oh my God, I'm a frog
1: <laughs> You're right. You don't you don't give birth to adults, It's exactly what it is. It comes back to that for sure. Yeah. And, and okay, so with UGS when you started, when did you start letting more people into your team? When did you start saying, "Okay, you can come into my uh, executive team," or "I can share the vision with you"? Because
0: yeah, it, it took about six or seven years for me because the money was so tight because of you know no sales in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, I just got so big and busy that I had to have somebody else, and I hired another guy who was a lot like me who could take on all of the marketing and trade shows and salesforce and all of that stuff which led me to to do more of the uh, the product ordering and product development and stuff like that. So the, the answer to your question is you'll know when you have to hire somebody because you can't function anymore by yourself and hopefully you'll have the money to do it um, and if not you just gotta keep struggling along doing the best you can until you find that there is a way to build a team. But as as business grows, you know, we got from a million to two to four. We were sort of doubling every year. The, the, the growth was just like organic. It, you know, it was always I can't keep up. I need someone to help me do this. And so that's when we bring someone on part-time. And before you know it, they're full-time and then they need it assisted because they can't keep up. So it, it, it's not something that you plan it's like you can't, when you start out, you can't get 10 executives and 20 workers and five business plans and, and you know, three bankers. You can't get them all in a conference room and make a business start. It's like take, taking, you know, nine women and trying to have a baby in one month. It just doesn't work, yeah, you know. Yeah. Everything has to be organic and grow. And so the team, you, you will find that the team sort of builds around you. Now, having said that, if you've got a product like these .comers did and and you got an idea and you raised 20 million capital, you, you can hire a huge team. But it doesn't really accelerate the the, the organic growth that much. Mm.
1: Okay. All right. And then um, now this is probably, this is I don't know if this is difficult for you, but... There was a point where you know you decided to obviously sell. You sold to Deckers, yeah. Um, uh, you know that you know publicly traded company. How did you know? You know it was time, and how difficult or easy was it for you? You know to just. Well, sell?
0: it was a re- it's a really funny story. You know, when I was very small, you know, I, I I used to sell boots out of the back of my van up at Malibu Beach after I'd been surfing, and I had a pretty strong clientele because the word of mouth was so fantastic. Well. A couple of parking spaces up was another guy called Doug Otto, and he was selling these triple-decker sort of neoprene thongs, you know, like sandals. Right. And uh, we ran into each other for, you know, 15 years uh, on the road, you know, and and he built a company called Deckers, and he eventually took that public. He got a sandal called Teva, which uh, was huge in the outdoor market, and when that market took off, he went public with that. And so, you know, uh, this is like 17 years after we used to hang out at Malibu, I had got my business up to where it was $15 million doing, you know, looking like a $20 million season. And two things. One, I didn't know how to finance the production for that season because, you know, all the bankers kept telling me, oh, uh, yeah, you've been lucky to now, but it's a fad. It'll never last. We're not going to back you. And, and I got this over and over and over again, even after 15 years. And, and the other part of it was my company had now got so big, we had management and meetings, and, and it was driving me crazy having to sit through these conferences and conference calls and meetings. And, and you never really got, and nobody got to do what they wanted. They all sort of had to sort of, um, you know, meet in the middle. So everything was becoming really average instead of outstanding. And so, it was. A, I was on the way to a, a big sh- uh, trade show in Atlanta called the Super Show, and I saw this guy, Doug, up at the other end of the baggage claim. And I thought, Oh my God, I got the goosebumps again, you know. And I just said, It's perfect. He dies every every winter, and my company dies every summer. Hmm. So I, walk, I walked up to him. and We high fived, and you know. And I said, Doug, you know, if ever we're going to do this merger, now's the time. And uh, he had tons of cash, you know, from his IPO. And uh, so it was like me going public without having to do all the, ho- the whole you know, <laughs> IPO thing, yeah. you know, because I just cashed out. And he, he ended up with, a, you know, two really good brands that covered each other in, in, in cash flow. So you you now had a summer winter business. Mm-hmm. And that's what we both needed. So it was just the perfect time because I was an entrepreneur. I love starting businesses and I hate running them. So it was a perfect thing for both of us.
1: Now nah, nah, are, are you? Do you still like? Uh, are you still affiliated with Uggs? Do you still? Um...
0: I'm still real friendly with them, yeah, but I, I don't have any operational role. In okay. fact, the 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 girl who who really has the credit for taking this into the you know the UG brand into the billions is the president there, Connie Rischwey. She just turned out to be a tremendous uh, fashion marketer. She really understood the the, the branding of a really high end image, and she was able to put the you know the sales and product sourcing into a line. And so she really is the one that took it from twenty million to a billion.
1: Yeah, no, no. It's I mean, it's my favorite quarterback, uh, Tom Brady is one of the biggest investors. That's right. right. Now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- that's how I knew of it because I was you know I was watching. The- if I'm a huge Patriots fan, I was like, ah, he's always marking these UGS through. <laughs> but uh, but uh, all right, cool. So um, I want to transition here into your book because I mean, I was you know setting it up here. You've been a serial entrepreneur. You're a lifelong learner. You teach a lot. You basically share, you know, principles that you've learned and you pass it on to generations, which is I'm very grateful for because I'm soaking up everything you're saying as yeah. I'm in that process myself. But what can you tell us about the book? Why you write it? Why you wrote it? And then you know how can people become?
0: Sure, part sure. Of well, I, I just love entrepreneurs. You know, I love people starting out and taking a risk because it's so much fun. And you know, if you follow it, you'll end up. You may not be the richest person in the world in twenty years, but you'll you'll have a really good life. Probably a lot better than those people who are stuck in jobs that they don't like. You know. Right. Uh, so it, it, it was a book that I've written which is a sort of call to action for entrepreneurs, but it, it, it's quite a lot of spirituality and philosophy in there that I've learned over the years, and uh, it's really, you know, all the things that you and I have talked about is 20 times more, and it's really my life's journey from, from when I'm being an accountant to selling out the company, <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's really meant to be an inspiration to those people who are on the path who think they're failing but they're really not. They're just stuck in that infancy period and it gives them hard. Like when I come off the stage from giving keynote speeches, you know, I'll have 10, 20 people come up to me afterwards and go, thank you, Brian. Thank you so much because I was about to give up my business because I thought I was failing and now I see where I'm really at. You know, you've given me new inspiration to carry on. And so that's really what my book is about. It's an inspiration to these people who have already started. And, uh, you can get it on Amazon. It's called The Birth of a Brand, and it's all about the Ugg brand, so The Birth of a Brand. And if you go onto my website, uh, uh you can sign up for a free chapter, which is uh, really a, the first year of the business, which is a really, right. <laughs> really good one. And uh, also I have uh, a, a free video, uh, weekly video, uh, session there that you can also get automatically when you sign up which is Brian's boots on the ground business tips for every Friday and they they're not stuff like how to be a better leader or how to get more profitability these are really off the wall tips that I've learned over you know 25 30 years of business and the you know I talk about goosebumps or you know perception all, all these sorts of things you know competition and it's in a really, really practical way that you can you sort of join along every week. So I'd urge you to go to briansmithspeaker dot and, and sign up.
1: Yeah, brian uh, briansmithspeaker dot com, the birth of a brand. And uh, you know, I'm 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 sure I'm gonna I'm put that in the show notes as well. But I'll direct all the traffic there for sure. And you, you mentioned keynotes, so you do keynotes as well. You write. Yeah, I do. No, I do a, I do a lot of that. that. Yes. Yeah. No. So I. How
0: many books have you written how many books do you want to write? Oh, this is the first book I've written mm-hmm. but but i've I've started another one it's a, I've written the first three or four chapters, which I think I'll use as a free a free ebook uh, from my side. It'll probably be up in a you know, I, I, I plan on getting it back into it in in the new year because I just launched this last book um, but it's a call to action for. People in their 50s and 60s, people I call boomerpreneurs, and this is about the boomerpreneur revolution. Right. Because there's so many people uh, you know, like me in their 50s and 60s who still think we're 30 and 40 in our <laughs> minds, and we've got tons of energy and lots of money, and we just don't know where to go to start the next business. So that's going to be my next, uh, my next push.
1: No, I hear you. I mean, I, I can't. Uh, I mean, do you have anything else you want to say? Before I, I really want to, you know, give you a platform to say your your piece because I, I had a, a a piece of thank you that I wanted to give you, but uh, I didn't want to interrupt any of your creativity. No, oh, well, I'll tell you, tell you,
0: have given me the opportunity to say everything I wanted. So <laughs> I, I would just, yeah, you know, if you are out there in a new in a new business uh, or if you're planning to start a business. Start and hang in there. Uh, and, and if you have a belief and a passion for it, eventually you'll become the best at whatever you do. And when you become the best at anything, the money just follows you. Yeah. So that, that, that's really all I want to say.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm in the infancy of mine, but people like you and Seth Golden, Sally Hogshead, they're, you know, people that keep me going. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out the book. I'll buy it right now. It's from Amazon as soon as I get off here. But, uh,
0: Fantastic, my friend. I, I think, think you'll, you'll love it. it. I, I know. I know you'll love I'm it. I'm sure
1: I will. I'm sure I will. If it, I mean, if it's if anything more like what you just said today, I'm I'm sure I'll be devouring that piece of content for sure. So, thank you so much for your time, sir.
0: Okay, it's my okay. pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: You've just been listening to the Ask Tall by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference
0: to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting
1: even softer over time.